again and welcome to BCEN and Friends. Today's friend is Sherry Flores, who is a clinical education specialist at Common Spirits St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona. In this episode, Sherry talks about her life story and how she arrived at where she is today. She is extremely open in her story about the ups and downs she has encountered along the way. This podcast will leave an imprint that you will not soon forget. So to begin Sherry's journey, let me turn the mic over to Mark. Hello, and welcome to BCEN and Friends Podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCEN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create a value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education Technology Services at BCEN, and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host, Janie Shoemaker, CEO at BCEN. Hi, Janie. Hi, Mark. So, Janie, continue on with this great season of BCEN and Friends, we have Sherry Flores. Janie, could you please introduce our BCEN friend, Sherry? Yes, I'd be delighted to do that, Mark. Thank you. Uh, Sherry is currently a clinical education specialist at Common Spirit St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona. She is a doctoral student in executive leadership at Post University. Now COVID has delayed her graduation, but she is marching right along. She's not going to let that stop her. Sherry holds an MSN in nursing education from Indiana Wesleyan and an MBA from Florida Institute of Technology, and her undergrad is from University of Minnesota. And as we go along here, you're gonna see what a high achiever Sherry really is. On top of all of this, Sherry is a mom of seven, two biological and five bonus, as she likes to call them, ages ranging from 32 to eight years. She was a single mom for a decade, but now married for the last year and a half. Her career has been amazing, with some of the highlights being a nurse for Yellowstone National Park, a travel nurse to many states and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and she has completed medical missions helping girls in the sex trade in Cambodia. She also was the National Pediatric Chairwoman for the Emergency Nurses Association. She has settled down now in the suburbs of Phoenix and coaches 11U Little League softball. Wow, Sherry. Welcome to BCEN and Friends Podcast. We are so excited to find out more about you and hear about some of your adventures. And I know you've had a lot of them. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Sherry, let's begin with this question. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You have an amazing story about your journey into nursing and where you are now. We'd love to hear about it. All right. So, um, thank you for having me on. Um, one of the things when we hear introductions, whether we're at conventions or in podcasts, you hear these lists of accolades. Um, I would really like if people actually list all the failures and struggles to get those accolades because sometimes when you see the alphabet soup after someone's name or you see the CV that's 15 pages long, a lot of people can't find that connection of how they, as a staff nurse or someone even coming into nursing, could reach that level. Um, those of us who've climbed definitely have a story. Um, I'm going to share my story with you. 
a lot of people, when they hear it, are surprised uh, because of resiliencies. Uh, Jamie Kern Lima, who actually is a CEO of It Cosmetics and one of the top CEOs in the country, has a statement that you have to be transparent, you have to have vulnerability, because someone out there has had a similar struggle or is in a similar struggle that you were in, and if you don't have that transparency that they can identify with, they're going to feel like they're alone. So I'm going to start at uh, the beginning of my story. actually starts in my childhood. Uh, I grew up in the northern suburbs of St. Paul in what I call Little Poland. I grew up in your authentic first-generation Polish home. Um, my sisters and I were the first college graduates in our tight uh, community. So it was not a pathway that many people had chosen, and we definitely did not have role models or people that we would aspire to be like. I was fortunate enough to uh, have people who identified that I had potential uh, when I reached the high school years. And what they did for me was set the hooks that, like a mountain climber, as you go up, would clip that D-ring into so that if you fall, the free fall is still there, but it doesn't go as far and doesn't hurt you as hard. So in healthcare, we love to have objective scales. And the CDC has something called Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's a 10-question survey. It kind of covers um, childhood experiences from potential traumatic events, uh, environmental situations that you've had in your childhood you had no control over. So on those 10 questions, it's binary. Zero is no, one is yes. So on that scale, you can have a zero to a 10 score. Um, I actually score an eight. So I came from a very not healthy childhood. Uh, many of the people that I grew up with, uh, including my two siblings, had very different pathways than I did. I was very fortunate that I had people recognize potential in me, even in my high school years, and kind of set me on a path. So uh, because of those situations, I ended up marrying someone immediately after high school. It was my high school sweetheart. Um, never really had a chance to kind of grow and develop. And we went to the University of Minnesota together. I actually went to school for engineering, which will explain a little bit more about me. Um, but I always had an EMT, so working on an ambulance on a side gig to kind of pay the bills. At the University of Minnesota, they had a financial aid office that would pair you uh, with jobs, so that would help augment that financial aid. I didn't have any support from my family financially, and they plunked me at the University of Minnesota Hospital in a pediatric oncology unit as a health unit coordinator. So that was my first entrance, and it was kind of, I think, a divine intervention because it exposed me to what nursing and the humanity and the science that I could see while I was still in academics. Uh, like I had said, I'd gone into engineering, and I realized very quickly I wasn't like my peers in engineering. I think a lot of them maybe ate the glue or paste in kindergarten, and it just really wasn't a good match in personality. Um, so I took that experience I got at the University of Minnesota Hospital and transitioned to microbiology because nursing was too hard to get in at that time, and it wasn't something I didn't think I could capture. 
So I finished a degree in microbiology and then realized I really wanted to have that nursing component. So I completed nursing school, got a job in that pediatric oncology unit as a new grad, and then was transferred pretty quickly to our uh, critical care area in pediatric intensive care. Right about that time when everything started coming together, my husband at the time got a transfer for his job to Louisville, Kentucky, and we went. And that started my vagabond lifestyle where I realized that traveling and realizing there's so much more out there from where I grew up in that little community in Minnesota was on my horizon. Uh, I thrived in that environment. I was able to make connections and network. I landed myself in an on-the-phone interview in a freestanding pediatric facility in Louisville in their PICU, and when I got feet on the ground, I realized it wasn't a good match. And it didn't mean I was a bad nurse, and it didn't mean it was a bad unit. It just meant that didn't match me. And I reached out to some community areas, found a job in a pediatric inpatient unit, and when I went to work, they grabbed onto my EMT background and said, hey, we're starting a pediatric ER. Would you be willing, with no ER experience, to go help us start this pediatric ER because you have that pre-hospital? So I took a risk, which I would highly recommend to do, and I moved down and started that career. I grew in my leadership. I started teaching all the box classes that I call ACLS PILES, BLS, some of the ENA curriculums, ENPC, TNCC, um, and really found a passion for teaching as well as being clinical. So everything looks like it sounds fantastic, and my husband at the time looked at me and said, I miss my family, I want to move home. That is the last thing or last place I wanted to be is to move back where I started. I wanted to continue to grow forward. So the next phase of my life opened. We did go through a divorce, uh, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody, but that's what choice we made. And I started my travel nurse career. I like to say that I also went into a time of my life I didn't like myself very much, and I stayed there for about a decade. I like to say I partied like a pinata because I got smashed on a regular basis. And... Uh, Again, I focus on career. I lost my life why and moved to a career why. I got personal feedback. I got personal growth only from my career, so that's what I focused on, and I was not behaving well uh, outside of the workplace. Um, I became a travel nurse. Uh, my first job, like Janie had said, I went to Yellowstone National Park. I found the ad in the back of an ENA journal. So really look, because those things exist. Very few people do recruiting on paper anymore, but that's how I got there. And I threw my resume out thinking, there is no way that they would accept this little girl from Kentucky with no real strong experience, uh, and they took a risk. And that was really what allowed me to open my, my doors. Um, I like to say at that time is when I realized the importance of certification, because a lot of the people who were my peers, all held this CEN, and I had no idea what that even was. Um, and I realized with the studying and the effort that having that CEN on my resume, especially as a travel nurse, opened doors. 
it was like a passport. It allowed me to get in to places that I would have normally not reached because I had shown with that dedication of that certification degree to be able to move forward. So I continued travel nursing, landed myself in North Carolina on a whim, uh, decided to work as an adjunct at one of the local community colleges to teach, uh, then got picked up pretty quickly at one of the baccalaureate programs uh, in that region, decided to go back to school for a master's degree in nursing education, because I didn't know how to teach outside the box classes. I didn't know how to build a curriculum. Uh, so I went back to school for that, uh, continued that little pinata lifestyle of partying way too hard with the wrong set of people, um, not proud of myself for those moments. Uh, also acquired four engagement rings and probably crushed a lot of hearts along the way because I just wasn't ready to settle. So during that time frame, I worked at West, or I worked at a uh, university in Western North Carolina, and co-shared a job with a gentleman who I will call Jay, uh, who was a flight nurse in Atlanta. So we shared a job because we both couldn't commit to a full-time commitment outside of our clinical duties. And fast forward several years uh, of travel nursing. I got a text message from Jay who said, hey, we should do this travel nurse thing together. So uh, I continued to travel nurse. I took a very short contract. It was four weeks in New Mexico. Um, decided to spend some time with Jay, and we went to the Virgin Islands on a travel contract. Um, not knowing this person more from being a coworker, uh, continuing that pinata lifestyle, maybe had a little bit too much uh, fun one evening, and about 30 days later, I was really tired. And I was 38 years old, things weren't making a lot of sense at that point in time, and one of my ER physicians said, hey, let's have you go pee on a stick. So, surprise, surprise, at 38, only committed to career, living a crazy lifestyle, I had two pink lines. And I had to make um, some decisions about what I was going to do. At that exact same time, again, in the back of the journal from Emergency Nursing Association, there was an application process to become an item writer for the CEN exam uh, that was based in Chicago. And I was, again, not thinking I would be chosen, but I did apply and was accepted. And that was my first touch point of becoming part of the committees that help build our certification through BCEN. So here I am. My career is thriving. I'm doing fantastic. I have these two pink lines. I am in a situation where smart girls shouldn't be, but we all make mistakes. And so I married someone I didn't even know um, because I felt like at that time being knocked up like a big deer, it was the right thing to do. I didn't want to deliver my child in the Virgin Islands. I wanted to come back stateside to do that. So we came back stateside and landed in Phoenix, Arizona 11 years ago. Uh, I was working as a uh, travel nurse at a pediatric-specific hospital, loving every minute of it, and being what they called geriatric maternal age, I started to have some complications. 
I was placed on bed rest, but my now husband at the time had some lifestyles that are his story to tell, but it led to legal problems and him losing his uh, ability to drive. So the concept of bed rest wasn't a possibility. So at 31 weeks, I had pushed my limit too far. I delivered a premature baby while I was on shift. I was still clocked in, which is kind of crazy to get paid while you deliver. We actually fixed the time card on that later. Um, and I was again in a situation where I thought smart girls shouldn't be. Like, who has two master's degree and has this child, should have stayed on bed rest, didn't listen, trying to kind of control my own world as it was spinning out of control. Um, because of issues of pride, I didn't want to admit failure. And as this relationship continued to spin out of control, I didn't tell anyone. And then I made a decision that smart girls shouldn't make. Is I said, well, this marriage is failing. My life is bad. Let's just have another baby while we're at it. I was 40 at the time. And during that second pregnancy, I started to get really, really sick. Uh, I was an inpatient in a hospital. I was moved into critical care. Um, my husband at the time was very clear that he didn't sign up for a sick wife and started to have issues with infidelity. Um, again, his story to tell, not mine. Um, when that happened to me, I, I think it's a little hormonal and I think it's a little me. I basically said, hey, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Send him on his way. So I started this situation being a single parent with a two-year-old toddler and a baby in my belly. I was on seizure precautions. I was on hypertension medications every four hours. I wasn't able to work. And things, again, started spinning out of control. Again, not where a smart girl should be. Academically, career-wise, solid. Life-wise, falling apart. So baby comes. I get diagnosed with lupus. And that was the rationale of all of the complications that I was having through my pregnancy. Um, lupus was a very hard diagnosis to hear because I didn't do what healthcare providers should do and go to the correct resources. I started doing the Dr. Google search because I didn't know a lot of things about lupus and started hearing things um, like, ooh, death within two years, uh, basically not able to work or not being able to go back to full-time careers. Uh, working with a nephrologist, I was able to get my life back. I was able to uh, get on a medication regimen that helped me grasp control that I could continue my career. So last little hit of life that makes it fantastic, single parent, working these amazing jobs. I got a position to be a coordinator of a trauma program and then moved into a director position. Things were looking fantastic. I had overcome. I had survived a lot of adversity to get to where I was. And I went to the mailbox one day, and there was a bill from the IRS. It was for $62,000 that my ex-husband had fraudulently filed taxes uh, related to our time we were expatriates in the Virgin Islands. 
um, and never informed me that they were errorous or that there was a problem. So when I got a $62,000 bill and contacted the IRS, we were a little bit behind the eight ball because we were several years out. And all that I could do is start to dig into that debt. I had garnished wages. I had my house leaned. Anything tactile that you could hold on to, I lost. All I had truly was my brain, my education, my career, and these two little chunky hands holding my hand that I needed to push forward and be strong for them. I used my name badge as therapy, which is not helpful, but a lot of nurses do that, where you come in and you punch the time clock and you take care of everybody else's problems, leave yours at the door. Um, I realized that um, I could hide from things that way. Again, not telling anybody in my circle of influence that any of this was happening because it was a pride issue. I didn't want to admit failure. Um, I ended up working as the trauma coordinator or that trauma director position. I took an adjunct teaching position. I took a position to teach online. At one point, I was working four jobs. Um, again, not telling anyone around me what was actually happening. Um, it was bad, and there were days that I didn't feel like I could even take a breath in because the weight of the world was so heavy. Um, on my worst day, I wrote my suicide note because I felt that I couldn't be the mom that my children needed because I was so in this dark moment of pit and things that were so out of my control, but now I had to be in control and, and step back in. Uh, I actually used employee assistance program. No one encouraged me to do that. I realized how dark my situation was and it was the one good decision that I think I made in that time frame. And it helped me get back on my feet. Um, I fed my children from a food bank, so I didn't have to worry about food, um, which is humiliating to have two master's degree and be recognized as the smart chick and not have the resources to even feed your children. Um, I was able to get into a house again, which was fantastic. Um, I suddenly had resources because I admitted that I needed help. And it didn't make me a weak person. It actually made me a very strong person to be able to do that for my children. So I had survived. I had, it wasn't easy. It was 10 extremely difficult years. Um, I'm on this side of it, so it probably sounds a little cleaner or a little happier than it really was at that time. Um, and I had someone say to me, you always take really hard, complex medical concepts and you break them down very easy in your teaching style to be able to present them to the staff nurse or the clinical nurse, the stretcher side nurse. Um, what if you did that for crisis? What if you did that to help people understand the pathophysiology, the understanding of what we do when we're in crisis, when we, the big word is amygdalate, and we have this emotional response? 
So I took that and ran with that for a doctoral degree. It is what my doctoral thesis is on. Um, I've been able to present it in several situations. Um, I've been able to reach out in conferences and symposiums. In as dark as a moment as I had, well, moments that I had, I can really see that sharing that and telling people about that struggle, we can push forward together in unity. Nurses are notorious for getting themselves into situations because they're caregivers. They reach out to the people who may not be best for them and may take them down or anchor them where they maybe shouldn't be. But if we can reach out and work together as our peers and help empower, um, we, we can do anything as a community of nurses together. Um, I know that's what got me through. It wasn't family. It wasn't, you know, an immediate connection. I didn't have those parachutes that a lot of people did. It was truly my ability to be a nurse. So like Janie said, 2021 May, I've been married now for a year and a half to another pace-eating engineer, so I have that tendency to go back to. Um, I have the seven kids, two uh, from my uterus and five from somebody else's that have grown in my heart, and, and, and that's kind of my story. It's not pretty, as Janie made it sound in the very beginning. It's that struggle behind the accolades that people need to remember and if you're in a dark time or you're in a situation where you're like, how did I get here? And it might not be my situation. You might not be pregnant or in financial ruin. It just comes that you'll have resiliency. Your nursing and your ability to care for others, you can care for yourself, but you have to admit that you are in that moment. So that's my struggles. That's my uh, pathway. That's how I am where I am. Probably more than you wanted. <laughs> no. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I, and I think that a lot of other people want to hear that too and realize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is a rainbow and there is life after. So thank you so much. Yeah, I agree, Sherry. That's, that's an amazing story. And we wanted to invite you on to, to tell your story because I think a lot of people do struggle. And I think nurses our caregivers and they put other people first and they don't tend to talk about what's going on uh, for themselves, like you said. And, and your story is an amazing um, journey of how you overcame some really, really awful situations. And what I really appreciate you, about you now, um, and I see you doing this literally every day, sometimes more than once a day, is that you're seeing other people. You see other people that are struggling and you make sure that they know you see them and that you're available to help them. And um, you, I see you do it every single day because you've been there and you want to be there for somebody else if you can be. And that's pretty amazing. So um, what a great story. And thank you for being so, you've really been vulnerable with us and thank you for that. Um, and maybe that will help some other people realize they can be vulnerable as well and get some help if they need it. So. I think nurses are really good at wearing our superhero capes yeah. when we clock in and we take care of 
people. We do things most people couldn't tolerate um, jumping in to help in every aspect of nursing. And then when we get home and we take off that super cape, superhero cape, it's very hard to realize that we're just humans like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're so right. You do take care of people all day and you are superheroes. And it's knowing that you also have to take care of yourself, which you were telling us here. So that was great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Sometimes takes some of us a little longer to learn that than others. And that's okay. That's okay. As long as we, as long as we get there eventually. <laughs> so always, I always say that uh, they say that your higher power, whoever you believe in Jesus, Buddha, Allah, crystal in the sky will whisper. I lost the ability apparently to hear the whisper and I have to be open hand slapped to be able to, to grow forward to where I should be on that path. So I admit that openly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again for sharing that. Now no you, are, um, you are very squared away in your career and you are an amazing educator. I've heard you several times uh, and we're going to hear you again on a webinar in June where you're going to yeah. talk about summer injuries and we're excited about that. Um, so if, if those of you listening have never heard Sherry, please be sure you turn it, tune in for, for the June webinar. But Sherry, one of your many accolades is that you have some specialty nursing certifications, uh, more than one. You want to tell us which ones you have? Sure. I have the CEN, Certified Emergency Nurse, and then I have the CPEN, Certified Pediatric Emergency Nurse. That's the one I'm most proud of. And the TCRN, which is Trauma Certified Registered Nurse. So. Yeah. And so you have helped uh, BCEN. You've been a volunteer for a long time, but most recently you've been on the TCR. You've been working on the, on the trauma certified registered nurse exam. You've helped bring that exam to life and stand it up. And you're one of the first ones that had the certification. And uh, so we have really enjoyed having you at work on that exam with all your brilliance. Do you want to tell us what you most enjoy about that particular gig? Oh, well, and I'm, like I said, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're like, I would really like to be involved, in the back of that ENA journal, and you'll see the postings apply, um, because I never thought I would be selected, like who would select me, um, and I've been able to grow forward. So I was an item writer for a long time for the CEN, several, several years, I think eight in total. And then on the exam um, construction and review committee, I've been on that committee since the TCRN exam um, came to fruition, even though it was a thought. We helped build the original um, test that came out in the beta testing. One of the things that I love the most, um, like I told you guys previously, I went to school originally to be an engineer. So I love to take things apart and see how they work from the inside out. And sitting on the review committee or the construction committee, I learned about a process that called psychometrics, which I honestly would have probably gone to school for had I even known it existed. Um, it is the science of measuring mental capacities and processes. So this is the team that BCEN pairs with to add depth to their certification. So there is statistical analysis in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. Off a simple test question, as in A stands for airway, B stands for breathing, C stands for what, they're going to analyze how people will respond to that. Are the highest test scores scoring the correct? Are they not? 
and we worked together as a committee to review that information. I had no idea the mathematical basis of exam construction and just honored to be able to hold certifications that have such strength and validity. I never had that understanding until I sat on that committee. Um, I just thought people wrote test questions and pushed them out. I didn't realize each question on that test holds real estate to really allow you to show your competence and your content expert in that certification uh, for your peers, for your work, and most importantly, for your patients. Um, I, again, apply, try, put it out there. Um, you're going to grow so much from that experience. Even if you're writing 10 questions that in your head you, you don't think, it'll take you hours to write one and the amount of research and information that you get, it's, I mean, there's no price that you could put on it, that old MasterCard commercial of Priceless. Um, that's kind of where I feel these committees are so you can be prepared and be ready to give that best outcome of patient care. That's awesome. Thanks, Sherry. I'm going to switch gears a little bit now um, because I understand you wanted to be a Dixie McCall. Can you explain, <laughs> can you explain that to our audience? All right. So I'm old. You guys should probably get that already. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, there was in the 1970s, this show called Emergency with an exclamation point. And I'm pretty sure that it's on, and I, and I want to brand specific, but like a Netflix, Hulu, uh, you can probably see them on YouTube. They were Squad 51, which was LA County's very first paramedics. I told you guys in the very beginning, I was an EMT. And I wanted to be like Johnny and Roy because they were on the field. Uh, they were the original ones touching the patient. And then they called into this hospital called Rampart, which doesn't really exist in real life. But Rampart's phone, their bat phone, their ER patch phone at the time, was always answered by this nurse. And she had the coolest nursing hat ever. Her name was Dixie McCall. And Dixie was really that first patch phone certified nurse to be able to help give direction to the paramedics in the field. Super cutting edge concept. Here I am, probably in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I had the old TV with the tinfoil on the rabbit antennas sitting in my basement. Our TV had to turn manually on the dial. I can still tell you to this day that show came on at 4 o'clock. And I would watch Dixie, and I just thought, she has it going on. Like, she was smart. She was beautiful. Uh, she helped make a difference in those people's lives. That's all I wanted to be. Um, ironically, about three years ago, I presented my crisis lecture at the Western Pediatric Trauma Symposium in Santa Barbara. And my only destination on that trip, besides the conference, I went to the LA Fire Station uh, 127. That's where they actually filmed the outside of Squad 51. That that's like a highlight of my of my 40s to be able to see that. That was awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> that's really cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. I don't think I've ever seen it, but now I want to go watch it. Oh, she's awesome. You're gonna yeah. love Dick. Okay. She puts it in place. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna check her out. Sounds good. Excellent. So Sherry, what words of wisdom do you have for our nurses? If, any words of wisdom? Oh, 
Um, obviously, you know I'm going to go something with resilience and crisis because this is my world. Um, my overall thing for nurses, stay away from the ELSA syndrome. So Elsa is the the blonde woman from Frozen. She sings a song called Let It Go. You guys probably know when she throws snow and ice. Um, her song is this, conceal it, don't feel it, put on a show, don't let them know. Um, I think Elsa is great, but in this aspect, I want to blast her with one of her uh, little ice lasers because that's exactly what you shouldn't do. Uh, we in nurses have secondary trauma. We're exposed to things, and our brain can't differentiate if we're experiencing it or if the patient's experiencing it. Our brain thinks we're going through it. So you hear the EMS patch report, single vehicle versus tree. Your brain thinks it's you. You hear it at the bedside. You see the patient. You hear their story to every provider that comes in the room. Your brain thinks it's you going through it. And we'll spend thousands of dollars training people how to use the equipment, how do you use your IV pump, how do you do your electronic documentation. We'll give you hours and hours of training for those pieces of equipment to give patient care, but we don't do great training on how do we care for ourselves. And Mark kind of alluded to that earlier too is we have to learn to take care of ourselves. The best thing that you can do is communicate. Uh, Recognize with your peers, it's a really bad day. I, I mean, we're coming up on drowning season and the pediatric world, you work in a pediatric-specific hospital, you might have two to three drownings a day. That's not a normal thing for your brain to handle. Communicate. Talk through it. Talk to each other. Give each other psychological first aid and, and be good to each other because we are dealing with really awful things um, they don't tell us that in nursing school. They don't prepare us to be able to do that. We're just expected to be able to jump in and function. So communicate, and and you're not in it alone. Reach out. There's people around you. That would be my words of wisdom that I would give. You know, I like the way you say psychological first aid. I never thought of it that way, and that is so important. Well, you're not going to let your peer arterial bleed out on the ground. You're going to push pressure um, and stop that bleed, but we don't do it for each other from a psychological standpoint, that psychological first aid. Very good words. Very good. So Sherry, in your view, why is lifelong learning critical for nurses? All right. Kind of two things on this one. Great question. Um, lifelong learning for nurses, uh, I think we can revert back. I think it's Gallup poll, but I, I'm not sure, so don't hold me to that 100%. says that for the last 19 years, nursing's the number one trusted profession. And our patients trust us. They deserve that we know the most up-to-date information. Healthcare is dynamic. It's changing every single day. If you put a textbook into print, it's outdated by the time it hits the shelf. So lifelong learning is drastically important so that you can give the best outcomes for your patients. You might not have the shiniest hospital on the hill with the shiniest marble floors, but if you have the knowledge, you can still give those outcomes, which is super important. Uh, the only way to do that is get into those journals, get into um, a network of connections, get with peers that maybe aren't in your region 
to talk about some of the trends that are happening. Um, the other aspect of lifelong learning for me, I had no idea when I completed a master's degree in nursing education in 2005 that my life would collapse a few years later. If I didn't push myself, if I hadn't gotten those academic credentials, when my life collapsed, I would have never been able to dig it out. I would have never been able to be where I am, but I had no idea at the time. I just had an inner want to make those connections. Um, I wanted to teach better for adult learners, so I went back to school. When I was a director of an ER, I wanted to speak the language to the chief financial officer to get the equipment that I needed, but I didn't know the right terminology, so I went back and got an MBA. Um, most nurses wouldn't think to do that, but then I could be successful leader for my unit and, and move forward. Again, I had no idea to predict the future, but I built myself a foundation that even though the hole was deep, I was able to stand tall on that foundation and start digging. That's awesome. That's great. Um, great advice for nurses, Sherry. And, and BCEN is really passionate about lifelong learning. Uh, we feel very strongly that, you know, if you're a credential holder of ours, especially that you're, um, you continuously are learning so that your credential means something, right? And so I wonder if you'd have any advice for BCEN because we've become, um, we've started offering learning opportunities for nurses, any nurse, um, particularly with our credential holders in mind. Would you have any um, advice for BCEN as an organization as we continue uh, to be a lifelong learning provider for our nurses? Um, I think, first of all, I think you guys have done an amazing job of thinking outside the box. Um, especially with podcasts and some of the other venues that you're presenting your information. Um, I still see some of our national nursing organizations pushing out paper print. Um, it's, I have a stack of when I have time, these are the journals that I need to read, but they're not meeting me where I'm at. I have an hour and five minute commute one way. Um, I listen to a podcast in the morning to help me as a person, and I listen to a work-related podcast on the way home. So finding those venues to meet, meet the nurses where they're at with mm -hmm. the content and, and giving it in those different forms, um, recognizing that the world's dynamic. Um, I think all of us have had books or we've had reference guides where a new edition comes out and they just change a couple words and then put a new edition number on it, where your curriculum, uh, even your, your tests are constantly dynamic and reflecting changes that are happening in the healthcare world. The other thing, and I can speak to the authenticity of the tests, uh, a lot of times our box classes uh, I, I view them, and this is my coaching statement, as a participation trophy. When I took, and, and I'm, I'm just going to say it, when I took ACLS for the first time in my EMT world, it was, it was hard. They made me cry. It was, when you held that credential, you earned it. Like, it wasn't just handed to you. And I feel, personal statement, I feel a lot of our box classes are if you show up and pay your fee, we'll just give you the certification with a tiny bit of work. When I came with BCEN and saw 
the rigorous standards of this robust test, it's something I can grab a hold of and be proud of. Um, I, it's not just, oh, I had to do it because I had my job. I actually did the time, and it actually means something because not everybody passes. And I know that sounds crazy, but you actually have to work for it. And that actually has some teeth in the community of healthcare because you earned it, you deserve it, and you should wear those initials and that alphabet soup after your name with pride. That's very hard to find in other aspects right now with the education that's being offered. That's a personal statement, and <laughs> just need to be careful on that one. <laughs> no, I, I can I totally relate to what you're saying about ACLS. I took it like right out of school, right when I got out of nursing school. Um, cause I was going to work in the float pool and you never knew where I was going to end up and I needed to have it. And I remember studying for weeks and, uh, yes, it, it, it is nothing like it is today. They did make you cry. And, uh, when you walked out of there and passed, you had something in your hand to be proud of. I completely agree with you. So that's my, I too am making a personal statement, but it is markedly different now than it was then. And, yeah. and I'm probably older than you. So anyway, there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all right. Well, thanks for that great advice, Sherry. We uh, do believe it is so important to meet nurses where they are. Um, uh, absolutely. And, and, and so various, we need, we need lots of, lots of options for them. So um, Mark, I think we have rapid fire. You know, it. I was just going to say, we're going to take this a uh, little bit different direction. Take a deep breath here, everybody. We're going to ask you some fun questions. Uh, Sherry, you know, we hear about your passion for nursing and that it, it, it's, it's great. It, I can't, words can't describe just what I'm thinking here. I mean, thank you so much. But uh, say, for instance, you weren't a nurse, what would you be doing today if you weren't in nursing? Yeah, anything else? What would you be doing? Absolutely. I would be a pastry chef. <laughs> now so, you're cooking. Um, <laughs> if you've ever had the opportunity to eat or dine in, a place that actually has a pastry chef. I mean, a cake is a cake is a cake when you're in other places. But if you go to someone who is this high-level pastry chef, it is all of their experience. It's their travel. It's their adventure. It's going to the far ends of the world to find these different techniques and coming together and making this masterpiece. Uh, and it's visual and it's, uh, gustatory, I think that's the right word. It tastes really good. Um, but yeah, and they have the same crappy hours that nursing has. So I'm already used to that. And that, that works. They work holidays. They work weekends. They are at work at 3 a.m. So that I could work with. But being able to capture all of those unique experiences of life and kind of push forward and making it the cake, is that would be awesome. You know, you are right. I worked in a hotel industry for quite a long time and uh, some famous hotels and the pastry chefs, there was competition among them too. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and some of the things they made, you know, we talk about things verbally, but we look at these physically, what they make and how long it took to make and where they get all the different ingredients from. And oh, yes, yes, you are right. And there's a ton of chemistry. So that nerdy science self in me totally would still be there. I could see you doing that. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> you need. Well, let, let's ask you now about some other favorite things. Yeah. So do you have a favorite book, 
movie or song you can give me one two or three though so a favorite book a favorite movie a favorite song um well i've been in advanced academics for about 12 years so i don't have a lot of time for other things but uh straight from the get-go um both movie and book uh wizard of oz by frank baum i think most of you have a, a recollection of that um biggest thing on that one and once you would get to know me uh, there's nothing a girl can't do with a new pair of shoes and a dog because, man, we can change the world if we put those things together. Um, very recently, I, I have five dogs. Um, some of them have crossed the Rainbow Bridge because of age. Uh, but, oh, I, lo I love my dogs. And I love shoes, a lot of shoes. Uh, other thing with Wizard of Oz, uh, I think it's okay to be different. And storms are going to happen. Uh, ships sailboats especially aren't made to be in that harbor they're made to go out and cruise on that water when the wind is strong so in the wizard of oz storms are going to happen you can be prepared you can be absolutely ready i mean dorothy's family had the storm shelter they just didn't get there in time but the biggest thing is where is that storm going to take you and i think it's a joel osteen and i want to make sure i give him the credit because i'm pretty sure it's him who says Setbacks can actually be setups, and I think we saw how Dorothy took that setback of, hey, going through, meeting the Wicked Witch, finding some random friends along the way, and uh, basically finding herself confident in it, and that's what that whole just if it is. Good. You know, I asked a favorite book, movie, and uh, song. Uh, I was thinking I, I could add a TV show and you most likely would have said Dixie McCall. So, I mean, yeah. Hey, absolutely. Hands down. <laughs> yeah. My eight and 11 year old have seen every episode. I think there's 122. That's, that's what we do. Awesome. Well, Sherry, I know that you're coaching little league. I know that you think about being, uh, you, you think a lot about pastry chefing, but um, my last rapid fire question is, um, about your hobbies or interests. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us that you're uh, involved in? Um, you know, a, a really big thing for me is mentoring of the single parents for obvious reasons. Um, one of the things that I do, uh, I work with our local uh, church or my local church, and I do resume reviews for single parents who are trying to uh, get their feet on the ground. So a lot of that getting people networked, helping out somebody else, not forgetting what it was like to be in that moment. Um, at this point in time, I have four uh, club softball slash baseball players in my house. So we don't have a lot of extra income to have a lot of outside <laughs> activities. Um, but uh, yeah, so we spend a lot of time on a softball or a baseball field uh, and growing that generation forward to have some self-confidence and realize that it takes a team to get things done yeah that's amazing that's amazing you um you are definitely somebody that uh is is as a person that we can all look up to and I just love the way that you give back to the young anywhere from the young to the old doesn't matter you're there for them that's that's just who you are it's really cool thank you very cool so Sherry, if our audience would like to follow you online, are there any social media platforms that you're on? Um, well, my bonus 
uh, teenage daughters remind me on a regular basis how old I am that I am on Facebook. Um, and I also do Instagram. Uh, it's just my name. So Sherry, S-H-A-R-I. I'm named after Sherry Lewis and the Lamb Chop. So, uh, yeah, I'm named after a chick with a sock on her hand. But that, that'll work. So Sherry, and then my last name's Flores, F-L-O-R-E-S, uh, at the end. And then, yeah, you can take a look for me. I'm pretty sure that it pops up and it says Nurse Phoenix. So you will be able to see pictures of my family. You'll be able to kind of see my journey. I usually put some anecdotal education tips at least two or three times a week to keep people on their toes. Um, but you'll see a lot of softball and baseball pictures. Excellent. And that's funny you bring up Sherry Lewis. Remember Lamb Chops? Yeah. Yeah, that's who I'm named after. Again, no role models in my childhood to look up to. My mom named me after the sock lady. They were some of my favorites, though. I love those. This brings back memories. <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, look, Google it online and find out about it. So, well, you know, all the stuff you've been doing, how busy you are. I, I first want to tell you, thank you for being here today, for taking this time out. I mean, this is great. We're fortunate to have you so much. I mean... Thank you, Sherry, for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. And thank you again for taking your time for this. Truly, thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me. And if what I had said reaches one person, uh, please read out, reach out to me on Messenger, on either that Instagram or Facebook. You're not alone. You're never in it alone. And again, vulnerability if you are one of those people with all the accolades, if you're one of those people with a 15-page resume like myself, don't forget the journey and the trial. And just remember there's other people who are on their way as well and to support them in that process. Great. Thank you. To all our listeners, we hope you'll stay tuned as we continue on with Season 2 and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have any suggestions for an episode, please email us at bcen at bcen.org. I am Mark Eggers here with Janie Shoemaker, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 